everyone, I'm Jay Evans and you're listening to SFI Not So Live, your monthly podcast where we discuss issues relating to mortgages and the property industry in the UK. This month I'm joined by Tony Hall, Head of Mortgage Sales at Saffron for Intermediaries and Holly Andrews, the Society's Intermediary Team Leader. Welcome both. Morning. Hello. They are here after all. And this, <laughs> this month we are blessed to be joined by an expert again. And this time it's the lovely Sam. Sam is from uh, Legal and General Mortgage Club. Sam, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction for the audience, for those that might not know who you are. Well, my name's Sam Piper, Sam with a double M, just because I'm awkward. I am actually the Lender Account Executive here at Legal and General Mortgage Club, working alongside the effervescent Danny Belton. Everybody knows who he is. And if you have met me in passing, or you've met me before, the word Disney springs to mind. So you'll know it's me, because I'll have a Disney bag, belt, shirt, something like that on. Danny actually refers to me as his Disney princess. So you'll probably know me for that reason. In that case, I'm going to reference you as princess all the way to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I can confirm he is wearing a Disney shirt today. I can see it. You guys can't, but we can. Uh, welcome, Sam. And thanks for joining us. It's really appreciated. Okay, so let's not waste any time. Um, we are here to talk about some of the issues that are facing um, the mortgage industry and the property industry those searching for a mortgage. Um, there's a lot of news going around, so there's going to be some some biting news here. We have got some updates on what's going on uh, with regards to products in the industry as well and some um, assistance that's coming from out in the industry as opposed to the government this time, which leads us beautifully onto the first topic we're going to discuss today. This is from Mortgage Solutions. And we all know today is the last day of the furlough scheme and the last day of the stamp duty holiday. They're all ending tomorrow um, or today, depending on how you look at it. It says last day, uh, which is going to cause um, some problems um, and some hiccups. And furlough in itself has caused problems for some uh, lenders. But we've done things to mitigate that saffron, Tony, haven't you, to, to try and help those that have been on furlough um, during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's about taking a, a common sense approach to every every case. We haven't, we ha we never changed our policy to exclude or include furlough. We've just done what we always do, which is take each case on its merits, and if that you know, if that individual can demonstrate the affordability of the mortgage, then you know, we'll quite uh, probably say yes. If if they can't, then we'll explain why and. You know, sadly, say no. So that, that I think that's the fairest way about it. We haven't treated people any differently. Has that been the same across the board, Sam? Sam, you obviously work with multiple lenders. Is there anything in the market? Is, there, is, is it being more flexible? Have people been more flexible? Is it easier now than it was perhaps six months ago? So having a baby sister that's actually been on furlough that needed to buy a house through the pandemic um, with the getting divorced, I can hand on heart say not everybody takes Saffron stance on this. There are a few of the similar ilk of the, the peer group that Saffron are in, the criteria of rich lenders, as I like to call them, that have really worked hard to help those people on furlough. But the same can't be said across the board. A lot of people went, you're on furlough, we don't want to play ball. And it's been, it's been a real shame, if I'm being honest. And it's been difficult for those on furlough, hasn't it? Because the government initially was only 70%, 80%. It varied, varied across the board. I think it got very confusing for a lot of people as well. And for those that didn't get that top up, it's led to, you know, it's, it's going to naturally lead to some adverse on their files. It might only be the odd slip here and there. You know, it might be, oh, I, I missed a payment on my mobile phone last month because I just couldn't afford it. You know, people are, are living by their means a lot these days. And so, Tony, have you seen an increase in adverse of people that are applying now? Is that starting to yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a growing, tr interestingly, it's been a growing trend for a number of years, even even pre-pandemic, but it's it's now, you know, it's, it's being exacerbated further. And I think with the end of furlough, you're going to see that rise again. You know, if people, you know, with a, with a large swathe of people who've already got mortgages, you know, on furlough and having to, you know, having to bless them, having to juggle, which one shall I pay this month? Because I'm not earning the money I was, you know, that inevitably leads to um, blips in credit histories. So we are seeing that, and I'm sure you know Sam will attest from a smart criteria perspective that adverse credit is one of the highest, uh, you know, amount of searches every week in all criteria systems. You know, and that, yeah, and that's again why we have made changes to our adverse policy to reflect the modern world. You know that we we before. We, we didn't ever allow anybody to have an unsatisfied default or CCJ, okay? 
we had flexibility with those that had made mistakes and had satisfied them, but we weren't that flexible before. We've changed that stance to recognise that people are going through challenging times, but that doesn't make them an ultimate bad risk. So we've we've adapted our policy um, to be more appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Holly, just on that, those that might have been on furlough you know, in the last year, they got made redundant, they've changed jobs. How much does that affect their application? You know, if they had maybe a month between uh, going in, but they're back in a nice job now. I mean, uh, what would you be looking at if they have, you know, shipped over, had to take a job on the land, for instance, because there's work available? What does that mean for their application? I think it's maybe touching on what Tony said, it's the case by case. You know, we've just recently changed our policy to allow people that are on currently on probationary periods. Um, so if the applicant has two years experience in a um, the same role and are still on probationary period, then we can consider them. Um, so it's just looking at different things like that. Great stuff. And... Um, just on that, the same story covers the end of uh, the stamp duty holiday. Now, Sam, you can probably attest to this. The stamp duty holiday had a little bit of an impact on the market, didn't it? Uh, just a little bit. Um, we saw some of our record lending weeks here at Mortgage Club. It's got to a point where we're, we're closing two billion a week uh, in completions through the club just because of stamp duty. And you can really see the, those peaks. We really thought it would fall off. March, we thought it'd fall off again in June, and, and it seems to be really con- uh, continuing on at the same ilk. But I think it'll be interesting to see the coming weeks, obviously, with, with today being the cutoff, what that does do to completion. Has it started to, Tony, just from your perspective, has it started to, as as we come towards the end of the holiday, have you seen that shift? Because obviously, they would have to be in, in application process, long into application process by now, anyway, to take advantage, wouldn't they? Yes. Yeah, we've certainly, uh, you know, we've certainly seen uh, a, a slowdown in purchases. Now, a lot of that is supply and demand. You know, buyers are outstripping um, sellers. You know, I don't know what the ratio is, but by quite a margin. So there's not enough su- supply around there for, for people to get their mortgages. So, as you know, I think everybody who was selling has done so. And interestingly, I was talking to a, uh, an advisor the other day he was saying that people are transitioning now from buying a house to doing something else with that you know doing a house up or looking at an investment so the, the kind of dynamics moving so that's naturally slowing down that market and we know we don't build enough houses as a country anyway we're about 300,000 short something like that so um, all of this you know ties itself into into what we're seeing and we, we've got one of the biggest remortgage spikes in living memory as well this month so circa 40 billion so the 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 dials are shifting slightly a little bit yeah it's an interesting interesting market to watch um and we are going to talk a little bit about um in fact we'll jump on to that next because our next topic something you brought up tony one of the things it did do was open up a market for buy to let purchases so um our next story comes to the mail online uh it was published uh earlier well just last week it talks about um, 25 years of the buy-to-let. <laughs> this apparently is a, it's a nice little quarter of a century years old. But Britain's ended up with 2.65 million landlords. I mean, I think that quite shocked me when I saw that as a figure. But obviously, that's been massively exasperated by the um, Sam Gigi holiday, isn't it? The, the chance to save that money on the new purchase. Sam, just from an industry perspective, I presume you've seen this. You've seen the buy-to-let landlords coming flying in during this period. We have indeed. Um, it's been a real go-getter, I think, for, for the buy-to-let landlord. Um, we've obviously seen a change in the type of properties that they're purchasing. That the flat isn't as maybe as sought after as it once was. You know, no garden things like that. So the type of property the landlords are purchasing, the fact that they're looking more north. It's not a bad thing being a northerner but they're looking at those cheaper properties you can buy a house for the price of a flat up north and, and it's really helping them to expand into that i will drop my little sales hat on here because of buy to let and the fact that we've moved forward for it we've actually launched our market fit buy to let affordability tool last week to help those those applicants and those advisors in the brilliant and so uh holly i'm going to bring you in here because you've been a bit quiet um let's talk about self-employed as a general i mean it's there's 3,031 self-employed products on the market, according to this article. Now, 
Like, that seems like a hell of a lot. Um, but um, have you buy seen... Buy-to-let products, not I was about stuff. to say, don't you buy mean buy-to-let? Buy doing that. <laughs> buy-to-let products. Let me correct myself. Buy-to-let products are 3031 um, My mistake. So uh, have you seen that increase, Holly? Have you seen that trend coming in? But also, you know, um, as Sam was just saying, I think there's a reason why people don't want to purchase flats at the moment. But... Um, have you seen a trend in those very easy, affordable, rentable properties and maybe in cities? Yeah, I think we have seen... Sorry, I'm really distracted by your background noise, Jay. <laughs> I, it's a plane taking off. I'll just um, I'll just mute myself while you answer. Hold on. And I'll, I'll cut this bit out. It's a, I live near our area of Mar and they're all just going to leave today. Right, um, I'm muting myself. Carry on with your answer, Hull. That's better. <laughs> so yeah, with buy to lets, we are seeing, um, as Sam said, sort of a change in the property that the landlords are um, purchasing um, and kind of we've seen them move to different areas. I know we touched on it in our last podcast, I believe, about them moving to different cities rather than just the London market being so buoyant. Um, it's looking at other cities further up north. But there's definitely a a number of buy-to-let products, not just in your everyday space, but your limited company buy-to-let products for people that are looking to um, put their properties into a limited company. Um, And then you've got the likes of HMO and holiday lets. Now in the buy-to-let space, you've got three products for Saffron. So you've got the everyday buy-to-let, you've got the expat buy-to-let for UK nationals living overseas and wanting to purchase or remortgage a property here in the UK or you've got the limited company buy-to-let as well. But the key thing I always like to point out with our buy-to-lets is that we allow first-time buyer, first-time landlord. Um, So that's one of the key selling points with our buy-to-lets as well. I think that's been one of the key... um, uh, The key things here is is that shift, isn't it, Tony? We've discussed it before, that everyone that's that's moving out of the cities because they want a garden, they want to put an office in the garden or whatever like that. And then you've got the the investors looking going, hey, everyone wants to to rent in the city. The youngsters are renting in the city. Let's take advantage of it. But we have had this cladding crisis. You know, this is is a big issue for those looking to purchase um, from there. Is there any let up on that? Has the government made any moves? And and how do people mitigate that? To be honest, I haven't seen any change in any legislation or guidance um, on the whole cladding issue. Um, So I can't really say much more than you know what we what we've talked about before that it's a it's a real challenge for those living in a property wanting to move or for those finding a perfect property in the right location unable to buy it because of the cladding so mm-hmm. it is it's a growing problem and uh you know it's it's the problem is there's so many problems at the moment it's which one does the government fix you know this one's rather important you know, in terms of the impact of not having it done correctly, um, you know, which we don't need to remind anybody about. So I don't know, it's, it's a challenge. It is a challenge, but it is certainly restricting um, the purchase of flats, very much so. I think people are generally nervous as well. Everybody's going out and waiting for their fire checks and all of a sudden they're in a position where they weren't before. But just touching on something you said, Tony, there's something that is dominating the news is the lack of homes to buy. Um, and that has caused the government, it's still in progress, to launch the help to build as a help to buy scheme, as opposed to the help to buy scheme. Um, we don't know a huge amount about it yet. We still don't know who is, um, we still don't know who's going to be on that lending yet. They haven't They haven't glued that anywhere down yet. And we spoke about this a fair bit on our, our last webinar. Um, but I think... You know, self-build is a way of fixing that market, but also, you know, we've got the development side, but self-build is a way of kind of achieving that affordable purchase you have, and even as a first-time buyer, surely. 100%, and I think self-build is the one route, the even better, safer route is custom-build. So that that's, you know, again, both both of those elements are, uh, are you know, massively misunder misunderrepresented and misunderstood in the market not only by consumers but by brokers and advisors as well it's it's seen as a you know a, a, a challenging market that you don't really want to get into um, you know we said on our last webinar that look the opportunities are huge and there's lenders us being one of them that are here really happy to help an, a first time buyer or first time broker through the process it, it isn't that difficult. Yeah, there's a few more forms to fill in and a few more dots to, uh, to you know, to, to 
tick, not dots to tick, I can't get it right. Start that again. A few more things to sort out. Um, but it's a viable option. And, you know, local authorities are being positively encouraged to give over brownfield sites um, to development. So there's a huge opportunity for SME builders to capitalise on this and find find available sites that weren't there before, you know, from a development point of view, which, by the way, we can help with as well. Um, or, you know, from a, a first-time buyer who actually could only ever think of dreaming of building their own house or wouldn't have thought of it, but actually if you've got a, a helpful SME builder that will build it for you to your specification, it's a great opportunity. And you could get that house that you would potentially be buying in 10 years' time now. I think that's, that's the key. That's the you beauty. can build a home that's right for you uh, and actually much more affordably, even though there are some issues you know, with pro you know, products and stuff at the moment, it's making it slightly more expensive to build. But still, even that on the calculation of where the products are at the moment is still a profitable way of building. Sam, have you seen from an industry perspective, is that reflective of what you've seen outside of, of Saffron? Have you seen that that self-build, self and he did it again, self-build and, and custom-build um, product? Um, I don't think it's anything, I don't think it's something that's talked about enough, to be honest with you. We've got lenders like Saffron, uh, we've also got other colleagues on, on the panel that, that really focus in on this and it's something that they're, they're big specialists in and they can really educate the world on. However, I just don't think it's something that's talked about between advisors and their applicants enough. It's just something that's not utilised to its best possibility, especially when you look at, you know, global warming and how can we do carbon footprint and things like that. Self-build and, and custom-build sit into that perfectly because they can start going into that home going, well, I'm building it, let's add the solar panels, let's do this, let's do that, and be really green from the get-go as well as getting the home that they've always wanted. So I think with more education, we could get more people on board. But I think it's really underused at present. I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think, you know, with the green agenda and, and what's going on with our climate crisis at the moment, especially first-time buyers in that generation, you've got the millennials and Gen Zs are going to be in next purchases after millennials. They're, they're very serious about this, and it, it, it's something that they've been educated on all the way through school, where perhaps some of us in the... I'm not putting you guys in this, but some of us in the older categories. Um, don't oh, I'm, in, I'm in that category, mate. It's all right. It's fine. Okay, we'll, we'll just stand up here, Tony. All right? yeah, we'll just it's absolutely you. fine. I, I accept that now. I'm, I've come to terms with it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with it. I'm more in your, colleague, your, your band than I am the other two. But, you know, we'll try. But, um, but actually, that leads beautifully onto the next story that I found on This Is Money. And, um, and that, I wouldn't bring this up for a reason, actually, because... Um, the vast majority of buyers don't see an EPCC rating as essential when purchasing a house, when actually come, I think it's 2050, isn't it? Come 2050, 2035, sorry, that's going to be your bare minimum to get a mortgage, according to the government. So there's a, there's a disparity there somewhere, but I'm bringing this up because there is actually, plan, there's current things out there, like green mortgage and other things that are in place and ready to go, Whereas kind of bringing attention to that and actually, um, sorry to, to plug, I'm going to come into you, Holly, here to talk about the green mortgage because Saffron's green mortgage does something slightly different to others. It doesn't say you've got to have a high EPC rating. It actually says improve your home and we'll discount your mortgage rate. Now, that's surely going to get people's mindset churning, especially us in the older crowd, if we're moving on to a, a different mortgage. Surely that's going to spur us on to think about our EPC rating on our homes, isn't it? I think so. I think it just makes people a little bit more conscious about it because what we would require is that they improve their EPC rating to a C or above and that within six months of completing on the property, um, they would have to have their own funds to be able to do those um, improvements. But if they make those small changes within the house to improve it, then we can look to look at discounting their, uh, the rate off their mortgage for them um, during the whole product term. And you know, we we're just saying about there's no new houses. There are some old housing stocks out there, but they don't conform to what people want on a green basis. So, uh, Sam, just on industry-wide and green mortgages, um, they're a good thing, right? Surely they're getting they're they're growing in popularity. Have you seen this, or are they still that little specialist mortgage you hear about, but not quite growing as as perhaps the government would want? I think it kind of sits in the middle of that, if I'm honest with you, Jay. I think some lenders, it's Afron to the world, and, and some of their, their peer group have really got the green market right. 
they, they've understood what, what, what a green mortgage should be, how they can help, and it's it's on a purchase. Some people are doing it on remortgages, but some people out there are just badging things as green to say it's green and almost doing it as a tick box exercise. So there are a couple of um, a couple of products that are appearing, and are they really green? Is it is it is it what it should be? And I think because of those lenders, the it's, it's a really mixed message. So the real green mortgage are maybe getting overshadowed a little bit by the for green I think that's very true I mean offering someone a discounted rate on a green mortgage because they've already got a house that's been built new that's a C rating already I don't see really fixes a problem it just says congratulations you bought a really good house um so but again it, it reflects back nicely doesn't it to the custom yeah. build market Tony because that's where it really sits you know that's where that's where green really sits beautifully isn't it well it is because the the the, the builder or the, the you know the the owner can choose the level of green that they want you know if they with, with if you're buying a house from a main builder you don't get the choice it's whatever rating they want to give to it and you know they are all conforming to whatever legislation is required but it's only if you're building your own one with your specification that you can do more you know it might cost more but it's it's the I suppose it's the environmental impact that you want to leave, isn't it? So that market definitely lends itself to that. You know, with regard to the, the whole, it's funny this, because the whole rating thing's been around for years, isn't it? And they had the certificates at the start that you had to pay a thousand quid for. I know because I had to do a few. And it was, what do I get for that? Absolutely nothing. So that went. Um, it's, so it's now just a rating, but my washing machine's rated as well. You know, I don't quite know what that is either. So there's a complete... Um, lack of understanding from even for me who's been in this market for forever about what this actually means and I think that's the difference for the consumer is this isn't saying a, uh, an E to a C is going to save you 200 quid a year all right if you actually start putting what's in it for me into doing this some people actually might start doing it given now with rising gas prices and inflation rising actually give someone a, a, a tangible reason what E what C means and I might do it. At the moment, it's just words that don't actually mean much, you know. Well, in my view, unless I'm mistaken, you know. It's, it's come this... to the fore, isn't it, a little bit with our disruptions yeah. on our M25. I'm not going to remember the name and give them any credit, but their message is very clear, you know, that the, the government do need to start insulating homes. And actually, uh, Holly, jumping from an E to a C is actually not as difficult as you might think, because it's actually things that you wouldn't really think of, like a small extra bit of insulation or a change to um, double glazing. It could be the simplest of things, can't it? It's not It's not like rebuilding an entire house. It's just looking at it and saying, where am I losing? Yeah, no, definitely. It's making those small changes within the house, such as the change of your windows, up in your insulation. There might be some eco methods that you can use with around the property. There is quite a lot online. I mean, touching on the confusing message, I know this article itself touches on that half of homeowners were not aware of the potential gas boiler ban. But actually, <laughs> this is even more confusing because when you read up on it more, it's been there will be a gas boiler ban on any new builds by 2023. And it's later on that then existing gas boilers go out because new builds won't be connected to the gas grid from 2023. Um, and even, you know, I was reading an article about it and it, it even that's confusing. It all is. I mean, I, I had a boiler breakdown last year and I had the choice of three boilers. Now, I'm not... Um, I'm not going to proclaim to be a massive eco-warrior, but I wanted to have a look at what the boilers were about and, and, and how effective they were. And totally like you were saying, we get a stamp on the edge of a fridge or on a, on a, on a washing machine saying it's got an EPC rating of this because of this or whatever. Um, actually even choosing my boiler, but I actually got a £1,000 off my boiler from the government because I chose a more eco-boiler. I got a grant. Um, I presume hardly any consumers will know about these because I didn't. It was down to my boiler installer that told me. Yeah, madness. No, so, I, I think this is just a lack of awareness. I didn't know about the twenty twenty three thing either. Hole. So um, I've learnt that today as well. So um, <laughs> I'll send you the article. I'm, I'm just intrigued about what do you have, what boiler do you have if you don't have gas. There, there's <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I was watching and I was watching a documentary a couple of days ago about all different boiler technologies, all these hydrogen boilers, and all these various different things you have in your house. 
and they're able to use the gas pipes to come into your house for alternatives to gas. So the idea is that ah, those who retrofit okay, into right. new houses, and then eventually all of us that have got gas boilers will eventually we'll, have to we'll go migrate. over. But it means they don't have to dig up your pipes, basically. They can just change over the supply. Um, but you have to have a various different boiler inside your house. And if you're in a rental properties, we've talked about buy-to-let landlords a lot today. God help the cost to landlords because they're not cheap. Um, so uh, certainly something to look out for. But it's quite interesting to see that EPC still being talked about. People are paying attention to it. But I think we've got a long way to go. I'm going to move over uh, to something. So next story is... From Show House, um, which is a, a magazine uh, around about housing, obviously. But this is about borrowing returning to normal levels in August. Um, obviously, the August figures came out this month. Um, but I want to pick up on that because we were talking about the peak and the year and how good it's been. Surely this was inevitable uh, that this was going to happen in August. Uh, did you see it, Sam? Um, no, we saw more of the same. Um, we didn't really see that much of a dip, even though there's two bank holidays in August. We didn't really see the dip that this article talks about. It was more of what we've been seeing. So it was. I pulled this yeah, article out because I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything from the industry either. So I thought this was quite interesting. Uh, Holly, any any excuse the phrase any dip for you guys in August? No, I think it remains steady. I think what we're seeing is a lot of people coming to us, getting a decision in principle, but actually either not having a property or still waiting for the property to go sort of or find the right one because they've been gazumped. So there's still that competition. It's the property sorters that we're really finding. So there's a bit of a slower sort of conversion from decision in principle to application. I'd say probably 75% of the dips that we get submitted, they're still struggling with a property. And gazumping became quite a thing, didn't it, Tony, in this in this period? Yeah, we've seen it on the rise um, a lot. Um, there's two things, actually. We're seeing more of a spike in now. One is the gazumping, but two is down valuations. That is starting to uh, impact the mortgage journey quite a bit. Um, as we've seen this huge spike and a bit of normalisation. So that is something... For everybody just to be watching about i think there is indication that this you know this growth in prices is potentially reached its reached its peak but you know every time i read the press it's somewhere about growth in pricing even further but properties are being downvalued you know it's, we're it's seeing a, that a lot and it's going to be like that for a while i suppose but there's there's a comment here from from um a mortgage broker saying that they felt that the august dip was due to holidays and the change in in the rules about traveling and things like that but i mean from what i can see sam that's not happened to you guys but how are you prepared now for what's going to come in october and and this remortgage um spike that we're likely to see yeah i think i think we've been prepared for for the dip since the beginning of the year we've, like, we've seen unprecedented levels so we knew it couldn't stay that way forever. We knew it had to, to stop at some point because if we kept going as we were, you're talking monopoly money and it's just becoming a little bit ridiculous. So it was always going to slow at some point. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a house. I don't look at houses in October when it's rainy and not nice. You're going to stay at home. And there's always that element of it's winter, let's close it up. So I think I think it was inevitable. I think we'll definitely see me more remortgages. You're looking at capital raising, Christmas is coming. There's all that kind of thing, people trying to make sure they've got the money they need to be able to get through to, to next year. So and, I think uh, Holly, from your perspective on this, uh, obviously remortgaging is going to be a big thing, but what other things do you think is going to change now that the market started to level out? What are you looking forward to seeing returns to normality of? I think, you know, we've definitely people will have seen on the 29th of September, we launched back into the 90% space for self-employed and contractors, which actually just at the beginning of the pandemic we had to restrict our lending at that loan to value and now we're back and feeling comfortable with those so we're hoping you know self-employed applicants with one year's accounts at 90 percent or any type of contractor as well on our contracting product at 90 percent i think we've made some really positive changes with our policy so i know adverse being one of them we touched on at the beginning of the webinar you know helping people with unsettled 
defaults and CCJs, or they might have had a late or missed payment in the last 24 months. Um, and also being able to, and I know I'm probably skipping ahead to the next article, but we have got an improvement to help people that are self-employed that have been affected by the pandemic. But I'll do no spoilers on that like I normally do each webinar and we'll wait for the next article. Well, I love the fact you guys keep just lining up the next article. It's almost like you know what we're going to talk about next. Um, so on that very note. It I is... don't, so that's good. <laughs> Tony just joins in when he's got a comment. Yeah. Okay, ladies, thanks for setting me up because the next story is from uh, the Daily Express and it is all like, it's the final deadline for the last SEISS grant for self-employed. Now, the grants haven't been um, particularly useful when it comes to um, the mortgage industry, let's put it that way, because obviously it looks uh, pretty bad on the uh, on your affordability. Sam, just on self-employed, I don't know how much you've got an opinion on this, obviously People have had to take the SEISS grants. Has that seen that? Have you seen that applicants are now seeing a more likelihood of rejection if they have taken that? Well, so I've got two views on this, if I'm being honest. Since I'm married to a self employed gentleman who himself has had to take a couple of the CSIS grants um, just because of waiting for PPE to be put in place, for example. Like when, when we got locked down, we picked him up from his construction site and he wasn't comfortable going back to work. He could, but he wasn't going until PPE was in, in place. He's self-employed, but he lost two months worth of income. So he had to take take the CC grant. There, there was no two ways about it. The problem with that is he had to take it. Had we been looking for a mortgage, we'd have had to do it in just my name because I was the only one with secure income. And and that's been, it's been a real problem. There's not been any lender that I'm aware of, so correct me if I'm wrong here, Seth Ron, that, that would accept thesis as viable income if it had been the only income they'd been receiving, which is a real shame. I have to say, it was, they're not, they're, if they're taking them nine times out of ten, they are taken because they need them. I know of self-employed people that have maybe taken them, well, it's there, I'll take it, it's money in my back pocket. That's that's going to look bad because you can still see that income coming in week on week. So I understand why some of the, the lenders have been hesitant to take them because what are the reasons behind it? If they can prove why they're taking it, they can explain it, I can maybe understand why a lender may take it into consideration. Something in there that I want to pick up with you, Tony, uh, and that is the many conversations you and I and, and we've had on the webinars and on podcasts around self-employed and the SAS grants is that Accountants were actually telling people to take them and put them in the back pocket in case, yeah. uh, which is then obviously going to have uh, an adverse effect to their application. So, how have you dealt with that? With because uh, you you know you are a I hate to use a specialist self-employed lender in that you have a specialist self-employed yeah, yeah, yeah. products. How have you dealt with that when looking at applications in the past? And this is a good plug for what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, well, again, it's that it's that you know uh, over overly used phrase but it's very out it's common sense you know it's it's about having a conversation um with the broker and the applicant about why did you do this you know and it was very much that my accountant told me i should it's free money have it you know because you, you don't think of that, that at that point you didn't understand the impacts of, of doing that on a mortgage application um which is so often the case with everything self-employed everything you try to do to maximize your income hurts you from a self-employed perspective you know uh, and you know contractors is another one so i think we just as ever have an, you know a, a, a wonderful approach as, as do you know a, a lot of other lenders that we take a common sense approach to every single application as it comes in you know we we implore the brokers to tell us the story, though, because our underwriters are not omnipresent. You know, they, they do need some guidance. So tell us your story. We provide a great notes function on our portal to do that. So tell the story why it's there, why it was used and whatever. And as you say, that segue into what we announced yesterday is actually we've now given our underwriters even more discretion to discount the pandemic year of trading in the right circumstances so we're not going to hold that year that's 100 percent not your fault uh, against you it's not going to be for everyone and we're very clear to stress that you've got to be able to demonstrate that your business is now trading profitably and trading at a level that 
demonstrates why we should lend you that money, but we're not going to hold that year against you. So we're delighted uh, that we, we made that decision that we launched that yesterday. And actually the guys are really busy with inquiries as you would expect, because that ties in at 90% as well. You know, which so is just, the other just, thing. Just to delve into that, for those that yeah. don't know, obviously a, a self-employed specialist mortgage allows you one to two years of accounts as opposed to three yeah. years of accounts on a standard mortgage. That's right. But this is, so just to get this right and make this as clear as possible, if they were trading pre-pandemic year for a minimum of a year, pre-pandemic yeah. year, and then you've got the pandemic year and they've returned to a profitable and almost pre-pandemic levels of their business, yeah. but have shown some commitment during the period of the pandemic year. So maybe diversified, maybe done something different, then you are saying that you could potentially look at their application and go, do you know what, there's a possibility we can discount and just not look at the yeah. last. Yeah, and it, is, it isn't just those you've diversified. It, it, it would be just, you know, because not everybody's been able to. But if you can show now your bank's in back and actually you've got bank statements and or management accounts that show your position, we're prepared to have a look. And as you you know, we won't do every one. We, it's just because we just won't but what we're saying is give us a try don't just because you can show this dip in that year doesn't mean that you can't you know you can't move forward because as you know lenders either average out three years or they take the last year or whatever and if those have been affected you're not going to be able to demonstrate the, the true affordability so that's why we've taken that move to just give the underwriters the, the discretion to ignore it because they can demonstrate a, a strong trading position now and i obviously i don't work in the industry i'm completely independent but i see that as incredibly fair in the you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm dual employed i'm employed full-time but i also self-employed yeah. i work outside as a freelancer so in a different area and and i can imagine i can see i mean i didn't do anything for, for an entire year on the other side if that had been my employment i you know it had been but it was at no fault of my own yeah you know, it wasn't my fault that they locked down the country and that nothing yeah. was available sam um obviously we're talking from a uh, tony and holly are certainly talking from a saffron perspective but have other lenders been more flexible as well have you seen some adjustments in the way they're accepting applicants or um, some flexibility around the, the the last you know pandemic year as we're calling it i definitely think there's a group of the of there's a group of, sort of like-minded lenders that i've used the phrase earlier on in, in, in the podcast that the criteria rich lenders the ones that don't just go computer says no the ones that are willing to have that conversation and they're, they're really coming to their own throughout the pandemic and, and following on from it with, with what they can bring to the table. Um, there is definitely a big group of them that, of, of the saffron, like the saffron type of lending, that they've really been there to support. And it's been wonderful for me to see because they're, they're most of the relationships that I hold within my role. So it's been a real pleasure to see lenders like the saffron really step forward and go, we want to look after you, we want to help. Um, there has been others that haven't, but they see the volumes anyway, so it's not really been so much of an issue for them. So to have lenders like the Saffron and then their peer groups be able to step forward and put their hands out and basically say, come here, we'll look after you. It is, let's see, let's, let's face it, it's all about the end client getting into a home in the long run, isn't it? And it's about looking after the end client. And that's all brokers want. And in the long run, that's all the lenders want is to help that broker get that person into the home. And yeah. as soon as they've got their keys and they walk through the door and achievements happen. But that's not always easy. And the pandemic certainly didn't, you know, offer a lot of support for a lot of people. So it is nice to see these lenders stepping up. Um do you think, Tony, this is this is back to you. Sorry, I'll, I'll, Holly, I will bring you back in in a minute. But Tony, back to you on the common sense side of it. You always talk about common sense lending. But I think just give us a bit more, for the brokers that are listening, just give us a bit more insight into what that means to you as a lender um, and what it means to them as a broker and their clients, as in, you know, what hurdles they can overcome by just being a little more open with you. Yeah, I mean, common sense is, is as it says, is if... The, if if the case makes sense to us, i.e. we, you know, there's this funny thing in regulation called affordability, right? So that's that's where, you know, that's the primary thing. It's not about the load to value being low or X, Y, Z. It's about can the applicant demonstrate that they can afford this loan? 
you know, for the period that they want to borrow it for. So that's the that's the key thing. So our underwriters are looking at that from a common sense view. And, you know, we're not restricted to one income. We can look at multiple income sources for the same applicant and, and just build up a picture that says, OK, yeah, you know, it's not it's not as straightforward as it's just employment and that's it. You can build it up. But what we need uh, brokers to do is as I think I said earlier, is tell us that story. You know, we, we're not mind readers. You know, either ring up, the, you know, we a lot of the calls into Holly's, you know, Holly's uh, team, the support team, are, and we spend a long time with people talking through inquiries. And, you know, we've I've got, you know, a really knowledgeable team that, you know, go through the same underwriter training as underwriters so that they understand our policy and then can give informed, you know, support. But... So it speaks to the team, but just tell us the story. We've got a notes section in our decision in principle process that you can write and provide, you know, the, the, the reasons behind why this case needs us to use our common sense. So it's, it, that's what it's about. It's t tell the story, but point out obvious stuff in an application as well. That's what helps. You know, we ask for bank statements. So... If you've got someone on the bank statement that you know we're going to go, what's that? Tell us. Write it on it. Do something that says stops a, qu a, qu a conversation having to be had later on. So just help us to help you exercise the right common sense and do things at the right pace and you know and at, at the right speed. And it, I think the other key thing is, uh, you know, as a shame, shameless plug for for Sam and Smarter Criteria, is use the sourcing systems available to you that check what a lender can do so you don't get disappointed early on. You know, we make sure that our, our policy is 100% up to date on every single sourcing system. You know, it's, it's part of the responsibilities of Holly and her team. So if, if it says it on there, again, it's a great chance that we'll do it. Um, so just use all the, all, all, the, all the, you know, sources available to you. And I think the last thing I'll say, because I'm conscious that this is quite a monologue now, is <laughs> that, you know, even if our policy isn't sure on something, that doesn't mean we won't uh, look at it. We have a, an appetite to do a degree of bespoke lending. OK, so again, that doesn't mean we'll let anything go through. But it means if our underwriters see something that they like, but it's kind of slightly outside of the pricing for the product that we've got, they can do a calculation and load that product and say, we'll do it, but we might charge you a bit more money as a fee, or we're going to put this amount of extra on the interest rate. But the good news is you get your mortgage. So, you know, that's common sense in its purest form, and we can do all of that. Um, that was that was a bit of a monologue, but very interesting. Yeah, sorry about that. You can edit it down later. And in fairness, no, I'm going to leave that in because it was really, no, it was really interesting because I think from... From the external, sometimes I think when you hear common sense lending, that could mean that several lenders may say it, but what does it mean individually? I think having that description from you, Tony, gives a bit more insight for all of us to kind of go, that's what that means. One last thing I want to talk about. <laughs> They're all freaking out because I didn't send them an article on this, but don't worry, it's an easy one. Uh, just want to briefly talk about first-time buyers. They've been particularly hit. Stamp G Holiday did them no favours. Uh, house prices have gone up and it's all it. And all of a sudden, I've seen nothing but stories of lenders um, dropping first-time buyer rates. Tony, you might as well, uh, actually Holly, Tony, you've said enough. Holly. Yeah, let Holly have a go. Holly, you came back into is... the 95% market and now you're dropping rates as well. I know, super exciting. So I think since we've been back, you know, we've been really sort of comfortable helping the first-time buyers back, you know, during the beginning of the pandemic, although we got we had our short three-day sale of 95%. I didn't get me a heart attack that couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I'm trying to see what you guys are like. And then, so, I then we kept... I before then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hulk, carry on. Sorry, oh, on. God, Imagine. this one's all about you team. today. <laughs> That's every day, hun, you know that. Carry on. 
So yeah, so we kept our joint borough sole proprietor where we, it was helping uh, first-time buyers get on the property ladder with a supporter, being a close family member. And then slowly as sort of more products and more lenders have come back to market, we felt definitely more comfortable to go back to the 95% space just as a standard first-time buyer. So yes, we've got a variety of products now on the website. Um, and yes, we had the exciting rate drop on two of the products. So we've got a rate drop on our two-year and our five-year. Which is very, very exciting. You read all about that in your favourite trade press or pop to the SFI website. You can see it there. Um, Sam, just sort of outside of uh, the saffron bubble, um, it's quite a few lenders are dropping their rates at the moment across the board on various different products. Do you think this is their way of kind of mitigating the change in the market that's, that's inevitable? Um, and do you think it's going to help? think they're trying to mitigate whether it helps or not i think the jury's still out on that to be honest with you until, until we can actually see what happens i think the way the proof's in the pudding with that um i think as more people are coming back into those higher loan to values and, and things like that there's less risk for them to be overrun so they can then start pulling those rates back because they're not sticking their head out on their own well it's very quickly on to one last thing on there's first time buyers um holly i'm going to bring you back in as well as tony's voice is probably to really sore um there's a story here <laughs> that grandparents believe it or not during the stampage holiday period grandparents have gifted 400 million pounds of deposits uh during the last year um, so let's do some talking on gifted deposits because actually you offer probably the widest variety of gifted deposits. But what does that mean? What does that mean for the for the the client's client, as it were, the broker's client, should I say? Yeah, so we definitely do accept gifted deposits from close family members, and that doesn't have to just be parents and grandparents. That could be from brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles, and it can even be step and adoptive or foster uh, parents or grandparents as well. Um, so we find with those as a gifted deposit or gifted equity deposit. And we've also just introduced a um, allowing builders gifted deposits. Uh, so we do now allow builder gifted deposit to a maximum of 5% from a builder. Um, and then the applicant must have a further 5% from their own resources. But when we say own resources, that doesn't have to be just their own savings. It could be the 5% made up from a gift from another uh, family member for them. So, you know, it, it's sort of you can you can build that one together. But yeah, the definite change for us is in, is allowing those builder gifted deposits. Amazing. The more helping hands get on the market. I think is everyone's, as we said earlier in the podcast, everyone's living hand to mouth a little bit at the moment. There's, you know, there is a lot going on in the world and a lot going on around us. You know, energy prices are going up. It is getting a little bit more difficult to to raise, uh, you know, the deposit yourself. So, this is a, a lovely stepping stone for the first uh, first time buyers, I guess. So, uh, credit to all the lenders that are doing that. We're running out of time, so uh, I'm going to do some shameless plugs uh, first, which is. Um, all of the information we've talked about with regards to Saffron, it will be available on the Saffron for Intermediaries website. There will be articles on there updating you on everything that's happening. But we are actually hosting SFI Not So Live slightly differently uh, in October, where we're talking about the policy changes that, that Tony and Holly have mentioned. And the link for that will be available from tomorrow. So from tomorrow, if you look on Trade Presses, 1st of October, look on the Trade Presses um, and look on the Saffron um LinkedIn page, and you'll find a link to sign up to that webinar. That is your chance to ask the questions and find out what those policy changes are, what they mean to you, and what they mean to your clients. Um, we have a lot of fun on the webinars. If you haven't joined us before, uh, you can see some previous ones. They're on sfilive.co.uk. It's sfilive.co.uk to watch some previous ones. We've talked about self and custom build and various other different topics in the last 13 episodes. So that'd be really good. Sam, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or find out a, bit, a little bit about, more about your mortgage club, where can they find you? Um, if they go to the Legal and General Mortgage Club homepage, they can find contact details for myself, all of our key relationship managers and telephone relationship managers. And I'm going to do a shameless plug now. You can also register on there to get access to smarter criteria 
Smarter Fit, and Smarter Fit now does full You've been told, so don't forget check out check out League of General Mortgage Club and have a look at that Smarts criteria. Thank you so much for that. It's been lovely to have you with us, Sam. Thanks for your input. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to hopefully in the future welcoming your face onto um, SFI Live on the webinars. So yeah, definitely. Just your voice. I think, you know, we love to have you people with us all the time. Yeah. Tony, thank you. And just, uh, we've sure. done the brain plug on the uh, on the <laughs> webinar, but just a little bit on those brokers that haven't worked with you before uh, on maybe registering on the SFI website. Yes, please do. The, the best way to keep in touch with what we're doing is to register to use our portal because then... We're, you're on our distribution list and we'll send you all updates on what we're getting up to, what's changing with products and what's changing with our criteria. So to do that, if you go onto the website, look in the top right-hand corner of the homepage, you'll see a button that says register. If you click on that lab, that one, then it will take you through the process and Holly, Holly and her team will pick that up for you. Amazing. And Holly, um, I'm not going to give away your details, but if anybody does have any immediate questions and want to come in, <laughs> do you want to give them the place they can find you? Yeah, of course. It's all of um, our contact details are on the website, but to get hold of the uh, BDM team, uh, the intermediary support team, it's um, 01799582925. We also have web chat available during business hours and the new and exciting feature on the website is our A to Z lending criteria. You can now go on there, all of our new policy and existing policies on there. And it's also in a really helpful search function. Uh, so please do have a sort of play around with that. But no, ha team are happy to answer any questions. And um, yeah, you can contact us a variety of different ways. Sounds wonderful. That's it for us. Uh, if you're listening to us on anything else, if you want to subscribe to us and get updates every time a new episode is available, head over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Search for SFI Not So Live and connect yourself to the series. So every time an episode goes up, it will inform you we're back. Um, so I'm sure you love listening to us. But again, thank you to the wider panel. Um, we're back every single month. And, and again, as I say, SFI Live, the, the webinar series is much more product focused. Uh, and this time we'll be talking about the new criteria changes. So if you can do join us it's on the 13th of October, it is live. It's fully interactive with the chat room. So you can actually interact with us as we're talking. Um, so do join us for that. But again, thank you to the whole panel. And we'll see you again in November. Take care. Goodbye. See you, everybody. Thank Bye. you. Thanks, Sam. Um...